It is indeed a great privilege to have this opportunity to bring a greeting to the board of the California Lutheran Bible School and to all its friends and supporters. It is now over 52 years since we began the Lutheran Bible Institute, Bible Study Movement, in Minnesota. And we thank God that it has continued down through the years and is now in a special way continuing through the California Lutheran Bible School. My personal greeting to Dr. and Mrs. Ford, to Shirley in the office, and to all the members and of the board of the school, to all its students, to all its friends and supporters. I want you to know that I rejoice greatly that you are continuing in the same way in which we began to emphasize the positive and affirmative study of the Word of God, encouraging young people especially to set aside a year or even two years of their lives to really let God speak to them through His Holy Word, not in the fashion of trying to find whether we can find fault with the Word of God, but to permit the Word of God to speak to us and reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might experience His call to us to turn our lives over to Him, to live for Him and for His glory. I have to admit that I am now an old man, have passed 80 years, will be 81 if God permits me to live through the summer, and I haven't found any reason to change the aim and purpose with which we began the work of the Lutheran Bible Institute. I still believe that that is the greatest kind of youth movement that there ever can be in our land or in the world, in that young people dedicate their lives to live for Jesus, and to the glory of his name. Eventually we're going to see that our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again in glory and establish his kingdom of glory. How marvelous it will be if we may have a part in that glory and be able to rejoice in those people who have come along with us and been willing to dedicate their lives in whatever line of service he would use them to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I greet you in his name, and lifting up their eyes, they saw no one save Jesus only. teacher in the Bible school in 1919, was it a struggle for you to accept the call and to give up your congregational work? And uh, where did you have your uh, your congregation at the time, and how did that call affect you? 
Well, first of all, let me say how thankful I am for this privilege of meeting with Maynard Force at this time. He is here in my home and in my, what I call my doghouse, in my study. And uh, I know that he and I are of kindred spirit and have the same ideas about how a Bible Institute can serve our Lord Jesus and his people who want to give some time of their life to Bible study. Well, I was the pastor of the Messiah Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, and there was an awakening amongst us, amongst the pastors and amongst the young people. There were several of us pastors who came together often and just read scripture and then knelt in prayer together, especially that God would grant us a quickening and a movement amongst our young people. And such a movement did occur. One person who was especially used of the Lord was uh, Miss Elmquist. And uh, she gathered young people around her. And then uh, when uh, young people would come to us pastors, they wanted to know where they could go and study the Bible and have an experience like she had had because she used to tell of her experience that came to her when she was in Nyack, the Bible Institute there. Well, there was no Lutheran Bible school to which we could refer them. And of course, they could have taken Bible courses in Lutheran junior colleges and senior colleges, but they wanted to just specialize in Bible study. And so the burden became very great upon the hearts of some of us pastors that there ought to be a Lutheran Bible Institute. And it was especially favorable for such a movement in Minnesota because there were so many Lutheran people there. And believe it or not, the thought was uh, in our minds all the time that such a school should be an all-Lutheran school not only an Augustana church school. So we were quite ecumenical in our viewpoint. And also there was a practical reason for that because we realized that there would only be a few people from each of the Lutheran churches that really would be interested enough to support such a school. And that therefore we needed a broad base for such a school. Well, I had been pastor of Messiah Church only three years, and during that time, the church that they had bought when they were first organized burned down. When I came to Messiah Church, they had no church. It was only ashes. And so we had to get to work and build a new church. But God blessed us in that, young man that I was. Uh, the people rallied around me, and we built a church, and believe it or not, they're still worshiping in that church that Dr. we built. Dr. Miller, how old were you at that time? I was 29 years old. No, that was when the, yes, I was 29. I was 26 when I came to Messiah Church. But I was 29 when this Bible school movement began. And so, of course, the Messiah people, they did really love this young man. We were having a great time together. And uh, many of them were very disappointed 
that I would even think of leaving them. I remember one of the trustees saying to me, there will only be a few old maids that will go to a school that you start over in St. Paul, and here you have a church full of people every Sunday rejoicing in what you are sharing with us. Why should you leave it? Well, I had to say, if God has called me, I have to leave regardless of numbers that are involved. And so eventually I had to reach that decision that it was a call from God and uh, it was the way that I was supposed to serve our Lord Jesus. So I went into it with all the energy and all the interest that I possibly could summon up and of course with much agony and prayer. Dr. Miller, do you remember the first day of that school? Can you tell me anything about that first day? Yes, uh, we began the classes in the First Lutheran Church in St. Paul. We went over to St. Paul because there were other institutions at work in Minneapolis that felt that we were treading on their field. So we went over to St. Paul. And George Anderson was pastor of the First Lutheran Church, and he was one of us. Who he became the husband of Annette Elmquist, by the way. And so they together, of course, were fully, completely uh, cooperative in this work. So we began our class there. And uh, I had prayed that there might be 10 students. I don't exactly remember the number, but it was something like 10, but it grew to be 20 at the end of the year. Dr. Miller, that's interesting. When our school was started in Los Angeles, we prayed that 12 would come. Yeah. And the first day, 12 came. And that school in the first year grew to somewhere in the numbers of the 20s, maybe 23, 24, something like that. So the two schools were very similar in that respect. Similar beginning. And by the way, was it difficult for you to adjust from the uh, uh, pastoral ministry to the teaching ministry and to having so many people in the church and having such a small class in the basement of that church. I can't say that I found it very difficult because I had always been interested in teaching and uh, I had been greatly influenced by my good teacher Dr. Conrad Emil Lindbergh and I saw what an influence he had on lives. Certainly he had on my life because he showed me out of the scriptures that on which I could be absolutely sure and uh, build the foundation of my life. And he always had an answer from the Bible for everything. And I can remember how men in his class would bring up uh, philosophical questions and so on, but his answer always came out of the scriptures. And I used to think, my, it would be wonderful to know the scriptures like he knows them, and then to be able to teach them. And I always enjoyed, as a student pastor, and my early ministry in Trinity Moline, as well as in Messiah Church, I always enjoyed my confirmation class work the most of all. I loved to teach them. Dr. Miller, it'll interest you to know that I also had... Uh, uh, Dr. Lindbergh is a teacher for two years, I know that. and then he passed away after two years in the seminary, and the last thing I heard him say 
was that he wished that we would plug his book that he had written on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And also, Dr. Miller, it interests me that you were in Moline as a pastor, and I also was in Moline for nine years. And our two churches were not too far apart. Although I think it must be 10, 15 years, or maybe 20 years from the time you were there until I was there. As I was there from 1913 to 1916. And I was there from 1931 till 1940. Oh, yeah. Well, I remember when you came to Calvary Church in Moline, but that was after I had left, of course. Well, I had many interesting experiences there, too, in uh, Trinity Church Moline, which was the beginning of my ministry. But I did not then have any thought of such a thing as starting a, a Bible Institute. Did you, did you go from the seminary to the Moline Church? You must have been very young then. Yes, I went from the seminary. That, that, I was called for ordination by the Trinity Church of Moline. And by the way, I had uh, said I wanted to be an English-speaking pastor. And I had given that uh, information to the committee that uh, was giving the calls to students. And there was only one call from an English-speaking church, and that was from Trinity Moline. That's interesting. Both of us then went from the seminary to Moline uh, after for our first uh, uh, parish. That's right. And when I was there, I remember hearing people talking about you being the pastor in the Trinity Church. Uh, several years earlier, of course. Yeah. Now, Dr. Miller, uh, with regard to that first class that you had, and uh, you didn't have much time to prepare all your Bible studies. Were you alone, or did you have others helping you, or uh, how did it go? Oh, yes, we had others who helped us. Now, there was uh, Pastor Anderson, for example, George Anderson, and his wife, uh, who was and that Elmquist Anderson, they both taught. And also uh, uh, Albert Lorraine taught, and Yelmer Swanson taught, Dr. Yelmer Swanson, and uh, Dr. C.A. Wendell, he also helped us. And uh, later on, uh, Dr. Emil Swanson also used to help us. Were you the only full-time man at the, to begin with? Yes, I was the only full-time man. But I should mention that that first class graduated two years later from a two-year course. And when that two-year class stood up in front in the Gustavus Adolphus Church in St. Paul to sing a graduation song, it dawned on me that there were ten in that class. So ten had finished the course. We had only five that finished our first class two years later. So you doubled uh, your class in comparison to ours. Well, you know, when I saw those ten standing there, the thought came to me, why didn't you have faith and courage to ask for many, many more? God was working, and he did exactly what you asked. But it was a real good lesson to me that we could rely upon God's answers to prayer. And of course, then at that time and ever after, uh, I was always sure that uh, the people that God gave us to be students of the Bible, that was much more important than the hundreds of thousands, even in the millions of dollars that he gave us. Because nothing could be more 
impossible than to think of young people willing to spend a year and two years specializing in Bible study. But I used to say when people expressed uh, their doubt that that could be, well, look, you have young people that specialize in music, young people that specialize in other forms of art, even in dancing, for example, they'll specialize years. Why shouldn't Christian young people specialize in the study of the Bible and become assured of their own salvation and be equipped to share it with others? Dr. Miller, how long were you alone then teaching, that is, being a full-time teacher, before you got somebody else? And who was the next man that was called to help you? The next uh, full-time teacher was uh, Pastor A.B. Anderson of the Norwegian Lutheran Church. He had actually started the Department of Bible at a, a Norwegian Lutheran school in Spokane, Washington. And I met him out there. And we talked things over, and we were of the same viewpoint regarding a Lutheran Bible Institute. And so, our board extended a call to him, and he became our second full-time pastor. Uh, what year did he join you then? Well, he joined us the second year of our school. No, the third year, I guess it was. Let's see now. You were alone then as the only full-time teacher until he came? That's right. And that would be about in 1922 then, perhaps, when yes, he came? Yes, I think it was something like that. And of course, uh, A.B. Anderson was a very earnest, zealous man, full of uh, or great desire to serve his Lord. You know, for example, that he became sick later on, after 19, uh, oh, say, 1930 or something like that. And uh, for many years, he could only be in a wheelchair. But he was uh, really more powerful in his teaching and preaching from that wheelchair than he was when he was up on his feet. I have heard more about uh, uh, Pastor Anderson in the wheelchair than I heard about him before the wheelchair. Uh, I, I met him a few times myself, so I know who he is, but I never had the privilege of going to the Bible school to have him as a teacher but I respected him very highly. I met him at Gustavus Adolphus College while I was attending there, and he came down for some Bible studies at the time. And I know he came up to our room uh, one night after the Bible study, and so we got personally acquainted that way. Good. He uh, probably was not as, uh, or not as, uh, how shall I say, good on technical matters of teaching, but he was very good in the spirit of his work and his zeal for the Lord and for, for personal soul winning. He was a great soul winner. Uh, Dr. Miller, who was your third teacher then, and, and how many years later did you call the third man? Well, the third man was Dr. C.J. Sutterman on a part-time basis. He was called to be a full-time teacher, but he didn't feel that he could do that, and so he accepted a call to the Salem Lutheran Church in Minneapolis and gave part-time work. But So he really wasn't a full-time teacher. The next full-time
time teacher was uh, O.J. Gornitska. Uh, Pastor Gornitska was still in the school when I came. In fact, he was the dean of the school uh, at the time. You had just left uh, a couple years prior to my coming. So when I came in 1947, then he was the dean, and I got to know him very, very well. And it'll interest you to know that a couple years ago at his funeral, it was my privilege to be a pallbearer. Well, that... And I was one of the few teachers, or one of the few friends from Minneapolis that was able to attend uh, that funeral. Pastor Upsaw uh, uh, was there, and myself. And I think that was all from the former LBI teachers. And Dr. Miller, uh, the school kept growing all the time. And what year was it that you finally moved over to Minneapolis? And what, uh, why did you move to Minneapolis from St. Paul? Uh, tell us a little bit about those beginnings, will you? Well, we were renting the old Luther Seminary over in St. Paul. And of course, we shared that with a public school. And conditions were not good for growth. And all the time that we'd been there, we were praying that God would help us to get a place of our own. And we always had thought that we should be in Minneapolis because there were, there were more Lutheran people in Minneapolis. It was more of a Lutheran city than St. Paul, which then at least was more of a Roman Catholic city. And it was also our idea, and that was especially emphasized by A.B. Anderson, that a Bible Institute should be as near the center of a city as possible. We should not look for places out in the country where we might hide ourselves away from difficulties, but we should stay in the middle of the city and face the city difficulties. Say, that's modern. That's really up to date, isn't it? Though now the schools are moving away from the cities. I'm glad to hear you say that, Dr. Miller, because this has been a problem with us for a number of years. I realize that. We're located now right down in the city. You are, indeed. And we bought property out of the city, but uh, some of us feel that we belong right in the very heart, and we're not interested in the campus because we don't have much time for, for campus uh, activity. No, but we're interested to be right in the heart where the action is. Well, that's the way we felt, and we bought a lot near the center of, the, of Minneapolis for $15,000. I imagine that lot is worth much, much more today. And uh, we built a building on it. Now, we had only $50,000 in addition to the 15000 for the lot. But we had a good friend named Mr. Field, who was a builder, a contractor, and was interested in our work. And he said that uh, if we were willing to Trust in God and start out with that 50000 He would help us. He would help us to finance it. He would get financing for us. So we ventured out, even though we had nowhere near the 250000 that the building would cost us. However, we felt that the 50000 that we had should be used. It shouldn't lie only in a bank somewhere. We had it invested in bonds, by the way, in AAA bonds. But I sensed that we were getting towards uh, financial problems in our country. 
and there was a possibility of us losing that 50,000. What year was this, Dr. Miller? What year was it that you built in Minneapolis? In 1928 and 9. And the building was to be ready for our use in the fall of 1929. It wasn't really ready. I told the builder, we're going to move in with you because we haven't any other place to go. So they were still uh, working on doors and trim and so on. It was a noisy beginning of our school that fall. But you remember that in 1929 came the financial crash. Yes. And we, uh, our money was in the building. Otherwise, we might have lost it. So I was thankful to God that we had started out. And, of course, there was opportunity of earning because we built dormitory in this building. And uh, the students were not asked to pay any tuition. We only a very minor registration fee. And then, but they did have to pay cost for board and room. And that helped us to pay for the building. Do you remember how many students you had at the time that you moved in this new building? Approximately? Oh, it was around a hundred maybe, and maybe a little more at times. I don't remember the exact number, but it was around that. So then we got that building in uh, 1929, and that was in the heart of Minneapolis, only a short walk to the downtown. And uh, I realized that conditions changed an awful lot so that I don't hold any judgment against those who felt that they had to sell out there and uh, move to another place. Uh, I, they looked for another uh, location for the Lutheran Bible Institute in Minneapolis. Dr. Miller, when I came to the school, uh, I remember when we uh, gave the diploma to the 1,000 student. Uh, 1,000 students had uh, been given diplomas, and this was, I would guess, in 48, 1948. And I suppose that uh, you remember uh, the 500 student and the 6, 7, 800 I don't remember that we even counted at that time. We were so glad for every student that came and that graduated that uh, I don't remember that we even... But of course, we did keep count of them. They were in the records. But I don't remember that I made any special mention of it. Dr. Miller, when you look back now, over the years when you were teaching, what were some of the uh, heartaches that you had as the head of the school... Uh, I'm sure you can remember at least some. Well, of course, the greatest heartache was when we met unbelief on the part of the students that happened. Sometimes there were those that were of an intellectual bent and tried to reason out everything, and though we would appeal to them to accept by faith what God revealed in his word, they would uh, debate with us. And I always felt sad about that. And then I felt sad about those students that had fallen into sins of various kinds that we had to rescue sometimes from the uh, powers of evil that were attracting them. And it wasn't easy either to amalgamate the different nationality backgrounds always. 
between uh, Norwegians and Swedes sometimes there arose differences that really had nationalistic background. That disturbed me always because I thought we were over all that and uh, wouldn't allow it to in any way affect our work. But I had uh, things that I had to meet with sometimes that, that were very difficult for me. When you think back of the alumni, uh, were you happy for the way they supported the school after they left, or did you have any problems along those lines? Well, the support of the school did not come from the alumni in the way that I had hoped. I had hoped that they would really rally, and when they earned money, that they would contribute. It seemed that uh, they were perhaps all too young for that, and that their contributions would come later in life. It was more the middle-aged people that uh, were the supporters financially of the institution. You were able to meet your all your payments. You never missed a payment on that new building. Is that right? I heard that. To my knowledge, we never missed a payment. We had some very interesting experiences. Uh, once I was praying that God would prompt people to give some more generous gifts. And I even asked God to help people to give, say, up to $500 or 1000 so we wouldn't have to pile dollars uh, one on the other so much. I had a personal experience then because I felt that the Lord said to me, why don't you give $500? But I answered the Lord, I said, I haven't got $500. Well, the Lord said, you've got an insurance, a life insurance that has that much cash value. Why don't you take that and give it? <laughs> I couldn't debate that. So I, I withdrew the 500 from the life insurance and gave it for this payment on the, on the building. 